you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 51 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I am your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Hope you had a great Christopher Columbus weekend. Hope you enjoyed the preseason games over the weekend as well. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And you can also listen to this lovely Boston Celtics podcast from a season ticket holder point of view on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc., etc. Lots to talk about this week, folks. We're gonna we'll preview the Celtics preseason game tonight. If you are listening on Tuesday, which is the day that the podcast is getting released this week due to the holiday, 7 p.m. in Cleveland against the Cavs. Jason Tatum will not be playing due to an illness. He didn't he didn't even travel with the team out to Cleveland. So it'll be interesting to see who actually really plays, and we'll talk about that very very shortly. And what I mean by that is probably at the end of the podcast. So if you're really holding on to that, just 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 wait a little bit and, and it will be there, I, I promise you. But what I really want to focus on this week is what the Celtics lost last year, production-wise. Shots, points, turnovers, field goal percentage, et cetera, et cetera. Really dive into the numbers, the analytics stuff, and find out who is going f- to fulfill those roles. Who is going to take the shots that, you know, Horford, Kyrie, Scary Terry, Marcus Morris, and Aaron Baines took. So if Aaron Baines has taken five shots a game, who's now taking Aaron Baines' shots? That's what I'm going to try and figure out on this episode of the Banner Banter Podcast. So let's start off by, I picked five players in particular. Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, Stand By Your Man Marcus Morris, Scary Terry Rozier, and Aaron Baines. So these five guys, per game, per game, okay? Now, this isn't their, their totals, you know, like, if Kyrie took 40 shots one game and then the next he took 10, so this is an average throughout their entire season of what they did last year, okay? 65.9 points per game these five produced. 26.4 rebounds. Six of those were offensive rebounds. 16.6 assists, seven turnovers, and three blocks. They took about 53 shots a game. 20 of those were from three. 25.1 made shots out of the 50 three that they took and 7.5 from three out of the 20 that they took you following me great their field goal percentage was about 46 percent from the field on average you know obviously Aaron Baines's field goal percentage is probably a little bit higher than Terry Rozier's last year but on average between those five it was 46 percent 36.6 percent from three 84% from the free throw line the Celtics lost a lot of good free throw shooters and the Celtics are already a shitty free throw shooting team and a shitty rebounding team and it's about to get shittier so sorry for all the shits that i give about the shit that the celtics produced last year and could carry over into this year so overall how did the team do that's including tatum and brown and hayward and 
Brad Wanamaker, et cetera, et cetera. 112 points per game, 44 and a half rebounds, 9.8 of them were offensive. So let's just take, let's just say 10 offensive rebounds per game, 26 assists, 13 turnovers, and five blocks. So you're losing about 60% of your shot attempts, and you're losing about 60% of your three-point shot attempts, which we could all say, hey, that's pretty good because the Celtics weren't an ideal three-point shooting team. But, I mean, when they were on, it was delicious. And when they were off, it was disgusting. Okay? So what does this all really mean, what we're losing? So you're losing more than half of your scoring, more than half of your rebounding, which petrifies me because... They're already a terrible rebounding team, so the fact that you're losing half of your rebounding is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. 80% of your offensive rebounding. The the Celtics did 10, 10 folks, offensive rebounds per game. six, Six, seven, eight of them were offensive by these five guys, Horford, Morris, Rogier, Kyrie, Baines. That's a huge piece. That means they're only doing like two or three offensive rebounds. The, the, the entire team, Hayward, Brown, Tatum, Brad Wanamaker, Shemi Ojale. Like, that's an issue. That is a big-time issue. And how, how are we going to fulfill that, you know? You're also, <clears throat> you're losing, what? The team overall shot 46% from the field. That's what these five guys did. So I guess that washes out 36.5% from three. These five did 36.6, so it, they're a little bit better, but again, ideal. And then 80% as a team from the free throw line, but these five did 84.1, so these five shot better overall as a team. Than, I'm sorry, overall than the actual team. That is absolutely ridiculous. So what are we looking for this year? We're looking for about 50 more shots per game to hand out. It's like I'm stuttering because... I'm freaking out about it because everyone thinks everything's all like sunshine and sunflowers and lollipops, but it's really not. 50 shots are going to have to be handed out if we want the team to be as good as last year. And we can all argue, hey, the team really wasn't good that year. Well, guess what? They still made it to the second round. They were still, what, the five seed, four seed, whatever the case may be, they were legit. I probably shouldn't have said legit. They were good enough to be reasonable in the playoffs and they sucked in the playoffs and now I'm just babbling. So 50 more shots a game. So you figure Kemba's probably going to take 20 of those shots per game. So where are the other 30 going to go? And you're saying, why is Kemba going to take 20 shots a game? Well, Kemba over his career has averaged a little over 17 shots per game. So you figure Brad will get him two or three more shots per game. You just figure. I'm just trying to do simple math to not give you more of a headache than I already have. So then you figure Tatum, Brown, Hayward, you know, maybe they can get five or six more shots apiece. Jason Tatum last year, folks, took 13 shots per game. Jalen Brown only took 10, and Gordon Hayward took about eight. So are we going to be okay if Kemba takes 20, Tatum takes 18, Jalen takes 15, and Gordon Hayward takes 15? I think so. I would have no problem with that. You know, Marcus Smart could probably get some more shots because if he keeps shooting the way that he's shooting, I mean... That's a good thing, but at the same time, I don't want Marcus Smart to get too cocky with his shooting and just start jacking up shots. That's not healthy. I don't like that. That'll get my heart rate going because I really don't trust him shooting-wise. So are we going to give a couple more shots per game to Marcus Smart? Okay, fine, but just a couple. Not a lot more. But I don't really, I also don't see a lot of the rookies taking up a lot of shots either. I mean, sure, and is Carson Edwards probably going to jack up six or seven shots a game? 
absolutely. The guy has a quick trigger. When he catches it and he sees any type of space, even if it's a fraction of a second, he's going to shoot it. That's what we've learned over these first three preseason games. And it's Cantor. He's good on the block, but I don't think the Celtics are going to be setting up their offense for Ennis Cantor to work in the post, kind of like they did with Al Horford. Like, they could dump the ball into Al Horford and be like, all right, Al, go to work. I don't think Brad Stevens is going to be doing that for Ennis Cantor. So, hmm, that will be interesting. But if you think about it, Ennis Cantor is such a good offensive rebounder that maybe all of his shots will just come off of, you know, missed shots from Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward or Kemba or Tatum or Carson Edwards or whatever the case may be. So you can kind of see those shots being distributed equally enough to certain people. Obviously, it gives more opportunity for Tatum and Brown and Hayward, which I think we all want. But when is it too much? You know, are we all content with basically Kemba, Gordon, Tatum and Brown taking 55 shots a game? I hope so. I hope that it works out well. But the main thing that I'm really concerned about is the rebounding. Where is all this rebounding going to go? It's absolutely ridiculous. The team averaged 44.5 rebounds per game last year. And then Kyrie, Horford, Morris, Terry, and Baines, they averaged 26. So that's literally 18. So that means all the guys who played last year averaged a total of 18 rebounds a game. Absolutely insane. So is it going to be Tice? Is it going to be Time Lord? Is it going to be play? Is it going to be Cantor? I'm hoping Cantor gives us eight, nine rebounds a game. Because Horford wasn't a great rebounder. If Cantor can give us the rebounding like I Baines and Horford together, if Cantor can do that, that's great. I mean, the lead, one of the leading rebounders on the team last year was Marcus Morris. The guy could rebound like no other. So is Jason Tatum going to step up? Is Jalen Brown going to step up with some rebounding? Is Gordon Hayward has to step up his rebounding? It it absolutely has to happen. The issue that I have with Time Lord is I feel like he he focuses too much on blocking shots than just being like, okay, dude, try and make this, and I'll get the rebound. So when you have Time Lord flying out for a shot, that's one less big body in the paint, and I'm I'm not expecting Marcus Smart or Carson Edwards to be scrappy and be getting a bunch of rebounds against all the bigs from Orlando or all the bigs with the Pacers or whatever the case may be. So we got to think the top three rebounders last year, guys, were Morris, Horford, and Tatum. So Tatum can take that next step. Tatum has rebounded the ball very well in the playoffs so far. But can that continue? God, I hope so. Tatum's going to have to get like eight or nine rebounds a game. He's going to almost have to, I don't want to say he's going to have to average a double-double, but if Hayward, I mean, if, if Tatum can give us 20 and 8 every night, that's delicious, and I'm, and I'm all for that. And I'm sure some of you are questioning right now, Marcus Morris is a really good rebounder. Like, what are you talking about? He's so scrappy. He's all over the place. Uh, not really. Marcus Smart averaged three rebounds a game last year. You would think it would be more. I was shocked when I saw the statistic. 1,000%. I thought he'd be a lot better. I don't see Daniel Tice helping that much. I think Daniel Tice is a perfect guy for Brad's defensive system where he can switch on guys, have his hands up, be long, but I don't see him like blocking out Joel Embiid for a rebound. Do you? I mean, Tice only got three and a half rebounds last year. So sure, I know he only played maybe 15, 16 minutes per game, but if he starts with the way that it looks like he's starting, he started the last two preseason games. I'm not against Daniel Tice starting, but 
he's not helping this group rebound. I think just he's helping them more defensively and maybe spreading the more spreading the ball better offensively. But I'm just so nervous about the rebounding, and I'm and I'm sorry that I keep saying that, but like they were a brutal rebounding team last year, and they're losing like. 26 rebounds per game and I'm not like this isn't a good rebounding team and this team has to rebound to win basketball games so I'm a little petrified and then the other thing that we have to worry about I don't want to say worried is a little strong but then again I do kind of overreact from time to time between Kyrie and Horford and Rozier and standby airman Marcus Morris and Aaron Baines my language arts teacher would probably be very angry with me right now Mr. Jordan from sixth grade in the Parker Middle School I just said and like three times in a sentence. That was that was crappy, and I'm really sorry to him because I 1,000% know he is not listening. But they those five guys, they averaged 128.7 minutes per game last year. There's 240 minutes that an NBA coach can give out per game, just a reminder at home. Okay, five guys on the court for 48 minutes of basketball. Do the math. It's not rocket science, okay? Kyrie played... <clears throat> excuse me, could be the first burp of the season, and it went through, and it's not. Sorry to my buddy, JC. Kyrie played 33 minutes last year. Kemba usually does that from time to time. He probably plays 35, 36 when he's playing for the Hornets, so you figure Kyrie and Kemba are a wash when it comes to minutes. Al Horford and Aaron Baines combined played for 45 minutes per game. So you figure Tice got 13 last year. Cantor in the last three teams that he's played for, the Trailblazers, the Knicks, and I'm having a brain fart on the other one. He's played about 22 to 23 minutes a game. So let's say now will be 25. So out of that 45, where is that other 20 minutes going? Can you split that up between Time Lord, Vincent Bleh, and Daniel Tice? If Daniel Tice is starting, absolutely. But how quick are you going to bring in Cantor? So that's going to be really interesting to see where those big man minutes are going to go. Are they going to play Jalen Brown at the four a lot? Because if you guys remember the last couple of podcasts in episode 49 and episode 50, I was very impressed with how well Jalen Brown plays the four. But when you play against the Philadelphia 76ers on opening night, which we'll talk about, and I'll probably repeat myself in a couple of weeks when, when the season actually starts, when we do the preview of the 76ers game in Philadelphia on opening night on October, Wednesday, October 23rd, it's... So their lineup is big. So who's guarding Embiid? You figure that's Tice, right? Which is, that's that. Who's guarding Al Horford? Is it going to be Jalen Brown? Is it going to be Jason Tatum? I think Jalen Brown's probably more physical than Jason Tatum, but Jason Tatum's longer than Jalen Brown. So that's going to be interesting because you figure Gordon Hayward can cover Tobias Harris. Kemba can do Quinton Richardson. And then whoever doesn't cover Al Horford between Tatum and Jalen Brown would then have to cover Ben Simmons. So it's it's fascinating how they're going to play this big man thing out. So is Time Lord going to get 20 minutes a game? Is Vincent Poulier going to get like 10 minutes a game? And then Tice gets 20 and Cantor gets 25. It's it's going to be very interesting. They give more minutes to Cantor, but he's coming off the bench. Brad has a lot to think about when it comes to minutes. And then you think about stand by your man, Marcus Morris, almost 28 minutes a game, 27.9, but give or take, let's say 28 minutes. Who's going to get those minutes? Are those going to be dished out between Hayward, Brown, and Tatum? Are you going to ask Semi Ojale to play more? God, I hope not. Is Grant Williams maybe going to play 12, 13 minutes a game? I got no issue with that. I'm a little nervous about how much he fouls, but he does do positive things on the court, so you can't be too upset about it. Brown and Hayward last year, they averaged about 26 minutes a game. So can they get up to 30? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, that's eight minutes 
gone right there out of that out of those 28 minutes that you're doing. Jason Tatum last year, folks, I didn't even realize this. Like I knew Jason Tatum played a lot, but Jason Tatum played 31 minutes a game last year. Can you expect him to play 35 in year three? God, I hope so. So between Kemba and Jason Tatum, both of those guys are on the court for 35 out of the 48 minutes of a basketball game. I'll take that any day of the week as long as they, their chemistry can work well because you know maybe there'll be some times where you can take Kemba out, but Tatum will still be in or vice versa. So that's very interesting. And then the final thing is Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier obviously didn't get as many minutes as he did after Isaiah Tom, Thomas got hurt or I'm, I'm sorry, Kyrie Irving got hurt. Uh, during there, wow, I just stuttered so, my brain literally just blacked out when I went, uh, but anyways, Terry Rozier, he did about 22 minutes a game last year, obviously not as much as he did during the playoffs when Kyrie got hurt, but where's that, where's that gonna go? Is Carson Edwards gonna see 16, 17, 18 minutes a game? Because that could be an option, it's just defensively, you're a little nervous about it, but Brad knows what it's like not to have a very good small defensive point guard, kind of like he did with Isaiah Thomas, so he could figure that out. So sure, 16, 17 minutes a game, give that to Carson Edwards, and then the other five minutes, give to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart played, I think, 26 minutes last year, 26, 27 minutes last year. Are we okay with seeing Marcus Smart play 30 minutes a night? But that means if you're going to be doing all that, you're asking Kemba, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, and Smart to all play at least 30 minutes a night. That could... That could suck going into the playoffs. It's a lot of basketball to be playing. But I'm pretty sure if Marcus Smart could play 48 minutes of basketball, he absolutely would. So in reality, how does this all, how does this all shake out? You, you, you think Kemba and Tatum, they're going to get 35 minutes a game, not a problem. Haber and Brown, I think, will easily hit the 30-minute mark. Not, maybe not on average. Maybe it might be like 28, 29 on average. But overall, I could see them playing 32, 33 minutes a game on certain nights. And Brad will make sure load management, make sure that they get their proper rest. Marcus Smart, like I said, I think he can crack the 30-minute mark. Tyson Cantor will each get over 20 minutes apiece. Edwards and Time Lord, I think they can get 15 to 18 minutes apiece. Excuse me, Brad Wanamaker, I think, could also take some time away from Carson Edwards, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And Vincent Puh and Grant Williams, you know, maybe they get 8, 9, maybe 10 minutes a game, if that, just like a couple stints in the second quarter. Maybe at the end of the third quarter, nothing more, nothing less. So the Celtics, I, I know they're playing very well. And I just kind of want to bring everyone back to earth a little bit saying the Celtics were pretty good last year and they lost a lot of important pieces and important things and a lot of production. Statistically, analytically, you name it, they lost it. So keep that in mind. It'll be interesting to see where Brad fills in certain pieces, certain shots, you know, are the rebounds going to go up? Are the rebounds going to go down? Will there be more assists? Will be there? Will there be more blocks? How is the free throw percentage going to do overall as a team? It's going to be very, very interesting. But let's get to the positive side of things and talk about these last two preseason games because the Celtics won both in dominating fashion. Last Friday night down in Orlando, they beat the Magic 100 to 75, and over the weekend on Sunday afternoon at TD Garden, they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 118 to 72. First off, let's just start off with the Magic game. Kemba missed the game due to a sore knee, so Brad decided to go with Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and Daniel Tice as the starters, and it worked out very well. They came out to a fiery start. They started, I think it was like a 16-2 run, and then Ennis Cantor came in for Daniel Tice. The lead expanded a little bit, but the 
magic kind of creeped back in a little bit. But you could sense that those five, Smart, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, and Tice, you could see that those guys have played together defensively. And I thought that was great to see. You could see that they were all on the same page. Their rotations were good, off switches, off pick and rolls, whatever the case may be. And I really, really enjoyed that. Tice starting at center, I found a little shocking. So I don't know if, I don't know what Brad's thought process is. Does he really rely on Cantor, Time Lord, and Smart off the bench? Because that's a very interesting lineup. But it could work. But we just haven't really seen it yet. So I'm very interested on why Tice. Does he just want Tice to go out there, give him a good seven or eight minutes to start the first, to start the second, to start the third, to start the fourth? Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised by that in any way, shape, or form. But what I really enjoyed about this was I think the transitional ball movement where like the Celtics would get a rebound, hit the outlet guy, and they would run down the court, make the extra pass for open shots. Maybe just not taking it to the racket. The racket. The rack. They would drive down the court and be like, oh, hey, look, someone's open. I'll kick it out in the corner. Then one of the defensive guys would fly down in the corner, try and fly, shot fake, one extra pass more, open three-pointer, boom, bang. That's that. And the other thing that I really enjoyed was the fact that they kept the pedal down. I felt like last year, whenever the Celtics got these big leads that they were up like 28, 29 points, they'd be like, we got this. It's fine. And then it wasn't. But they kept the pedal to the metal. They kept it on the floor. At one point, they were up 34 points in the second corner. When have we ever been able to say the Celtics were up 34 points in the second quarter? confidently and I felt confident and I understand it's a preseason game but I felt confident last year's team just just wouldn't do that but it's good to see that these guys kept grinding when they were up that much I loved to see that in episode 50 I mentioned the length of the Orlando Magic and I was really impressed with the Celtics interior defense I thought it was fantastic all around not letting guys get easy shots not letting them get settled you know, for example, Aaron Gordon. I think Aaron Gordon's a really good post player. So don't let Aaron Gordon get the ball, do a couple dribbles, turn around, you know, a shot fake into a layup, a jump hook, whatever the case may be. I felt like the Celtics did not let any of those magic big men or athletic big men, I should say, really get comfortable in the post. And I understand Vujicic, who was an all-star last year for the Orlando Magic, did not play in this game. And it would have been a lot different because Daniel Tice would have been dominated on the boards. But it's just good to see that the interior defense was good. A lot of guys came down. They slid down. Weak side defense. I loved it all around. I thought this was the best Jalen Brown has looked in a really, really long time. His ball handling in transition was reasonable for once. I felt like he was attacking the rim instead of just getting a having a big man just set a pick. He curls around it and just shoots it. He actually attacked the rim. He did it with purpose. He wanted to score. He wanted to get fouled. And I was really impressed with his weak side defense too. Hands out in the passing lanes, pistols as we like to call it. When you create an L, you're pointing, the thumb's pointing to you. The L is pointing to your defender. And then the other L on your right hand is pointing to your thumb and then the index finger to the ball. So ball, you man pistols and I love that that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did that a great deal and they also did it in the Cavs game too I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's defense in the preseason so far has been absolutely incredible but the question is can they keep it up can they do this in a meaningless in a meaningless game in January against you know let's say the Cleveland Cavaliers again shame on me for not memorizing 
the whole schedule yet. I know the home schedule at the back of my hand, but the road schedule, if they're playing some bum-ass team in January, are we going to see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum be aggressive all the time like Marcus Smart is? I don't know. I don't think so. And one of the other last things that I loved, two things that I loved about this Magic game that I wrote down in my notes was Carson Edwards. That kid loves to shoot the basketball. That kid thinks every single shot that he shoots is going to go in, and that is awesome and yet scary at the same time. I I just want him to realize that like he's not the number one scoring option like he was at Purdue. So is he going to be okay with that? Because I don't. I I hope so. He's going to have to be. But he shoots the ball with confidence. He shoots it quick. And like I mentioned earlier, the second he finds space, he lets it fly. And I'm okay with that as long as Brad's okay with it. But at the same time, I also don't want him forcing up shots because I felt like that's what he did a lot at Purdue, which is one of the reasons why I was iffy on drafting him. But I also understood he had to force some shots because he was the number one option. But you just better decision-making from Carson Edwards is what I'm really looking for versus just throwing it up and hoping that it goes in. And finally, Brad Wanamaker. I thought Brad Wanamaker had a great game. Nine points, five boards, five assists. He was solid. And I honestly think he could take away some minutes from Carson Edwards. I'm not saying he's better offensively than him in any way, shape, or form, but I think he can run an offense better as an as a true point guard than Carson Edwards. And I think that is what Brad might want to look from time to time. For example, Carson Edwards is on the floor with Tatum, Hayward, and Brown. Do you want Carson Edwards taking shots away from those three guys? No. What I want is I want a point guard that can distribute the ball to those three guys when they come off of double screens, off of curls, whatever the case may be, and make sure that they get hit in the right spot in their shooting rotation to hit a shot. But at the same time, if those curls don't work and the other team is switching really well, I also don't want Brad Wanamaker shooting the shot. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword there. But I honestly think Brad Wanamaker could get some more minutes this year and maybe take some away from... Carson Edwards just because of his height and his defense because Carson Edwards is only six feet and his defense really isn't that ideal. Now let's move on to the Cavs game. The Cavs game, the Cavs didn't have a lot of great players playing for them. Garland wasn't playing their first round draft pick. Their first round lottery draft pick is actually what I should say. Kevin Love didn't play. Tristan Thompson didn't play. So again, even though Tice did look good in that starting lineup, really not a true test. And I'm I'm really excited that Daniel Tice at practice yesterday mentioned that, hey, you know what? I didn't go up against the best and I wanted to, but I made the best of my opportunity. So I'm glad Daniel Tice realizes that like, hey, I played well, but if I played against some tougher competition, it could have gone maybe even better or heck even worse to show that I have a lot to improve on. And before the game, the Celtics made a move that I called in episode 49. The Celtics announced a fully guaranteed contract signing of Max Struss or Struess, whatever the case may be. This now opened up a two-way contract offer because right now Tremont Waters has the other one and each NBA team needs a roster of 15 players and then they get two two-way deals. And basically what a two-way deal is, is basically you're allowed to spend 45 days in an NBA, on an NBA roster. For example, let's say Vincent gets hurt. And the Celtics just want an extra big man, just in case. They can call a big man from Maine 
from the main Red Claws organization because that is basically the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Lowell Spinners, if you will, the affiliation for the Boston Celtics. Every NBA team has one. I think there's like three or four that like have a joint one, but I don't know that off the top of my head. But they can call up to Portland, Maine, and like, hey, we need this big man to come down and just sit on the bench. And that would count as one day on an NBA roster. Everyone following me? Great. So because of that, fully guaranteed contract signing to Max Struss, which I believe he's going to make this roster, that opened up a two-way contract for Taco Fall. Congratulations to all the Taco Fall fans out there, and I also want to say congratulations to all the Taco Fall fans out there that didn't start a We Want Taco chant in the first quarter and halfway through the second quarter. I'm really proud of all of you. You're all being realistic and realizing that he's not going to play until the fourth quarter. So congratulations to all of you there. This is a good thing. I think Tremont Waters and Taco Fall going up to Maine is a really, really good thing for both of their careers. Taco Fall needs conditioning. Folks, he's slow. Brad only puts him in for the last five or six minutes of the game for a reason. Because his conditioning's not there. So go play a G League game. The G League game, I think, are only 10-minute quarters. So I think they're only playing 40-minute games. I want to see Taco play a 40-minute game. I'm not saying all 40 minutes. But if he could play 28 out of those 40 minutes up in Maine, that's what I want to see. This is also going to be an exciting final roster spot for Javante Green and Max Struss. Who's going to make it? One of them's going to get cut. Javante Green looked awesome. In the very first game against the Charlotte Hornets, he went like 7-for-7. He played pretty well against the Magic. He had a very nice dunk, breakaway dunk. The guy is athletic. He can jump through the ceiling. Now, if it was up to me, I'm over Shemi Ojale, and I want Javante Green and Max Struss on the team, but I don't think financially and contract-wise the Celtics will want to do that. So it's going to be between Javante Green and Max Struss. But I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that Struss makes this team. I I really, really do. But anyways, on to the game. The first four minutes of this Cavs game was brutal. Absolutely awful by both sides. It was terrible. Oh my God, it was awful. So many turnovers, so many bad shots, so many traveling violations, you name it. Oh, so many people not knowing where they were. The offense for the Celtics looks so lazy. You, you compare it to the Magic game in the first quarter to the Cavs game in the first quarter. It was night and day. The down in Orlando, I don't know what it was. They were zipping around, flying around, yippity doo dah, zippity day, my oh my, what a wonderful day. And then here it was just like boo hoo, basketball, and it and it just absolutely sucked. It was it was so weird how different it can be. But the Celtics, they can't do that. The Celtics cannot do that this upcoming season. We're like, all right, we're playing the 76ers. Let's fly around. And now we're playing the Knicks. Let's not fly around. Nope, nope, because that's what the team did last year, and I refuse absolutely refuse to deal with that. Now, let's talk about Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor, I don't want to say I had high hopes. I just had like reasonable hopes. Like, hey, he can rebound. Hey, he can score on the post. But I didn't realize that he does not see an open person when he catches the ball on the block or when he gets the ball on a handoff when he tries to set a screen. He doesn't see anyone. He must have missed Hayward or Grant Williams or Brown or Tatum or whoever cut back door. He just doesn't see it. Al Horford would have hit those passes. Let's say there were five opportunities. He would have hit them four out of five times. Cantor didn't even look that way. And if I can notice it from the television screen, whether the last row of the balcony, whatever the case may be, if I can notice it from there, that's bad. Yeah, I paused there because 
I've literally thought about, okay, I remember watching it on TV. It was bad. I remember watching it in Section 315, Row 15. It was bad. It has to change. It has to change. But since we're talking about Cantor, why don't we get into a Cantor banter? He's a man who loves to get a double-double, but when it comes to the Turkish government, he's in a lot of trouble. It's time for Cantor banter, baby. Wow! And that was this week's edition of Cantor Banter because he got 15 rebounds in the Cavs game and the Magic game combined. We got to listen to that Cantor Banter type music for 15 seconds. One thing that I will say about Ennis Cantor, when the Celtics went on their run against the Cavs in the second quarter, when the Celtics defense only allowed nine points, they were doing a fast lineup, a small lineup, run, run, run up and down the court. Ennis Cantor will not be in that consideration for for those type of minutes in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he played a second of that second quarter. He, he came out in the third quarter, played pretty well. You know, obviously ended up, I think he had eight rebounds in this game. Or was it eight in the Magic game and seven in this game? Either way, Cantor played pretty well. But when Brad wants to go with a lineup of Time Lord, Smart, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, whatever the case may be, five guys, and the big is either Tice or Time Lord. I don't even think Brad Stevens will look Ennis Cantor in the eye because he knows that he can't run the floor and that he's really just there to, to rebound. And that's basically about it. And speaking about the, the Time Lord, Marcus Smart and Robert Williams III could be a thing this year, guys. And I'm kind of excited about it. Nipples are hard a little bit. Yeah, I, I love it. Last year, I loved the Marcus Smart and Al Horford pick and roll lob game. This Marcus Smart Time Lord one could be a little bit more fun. And what I mean by that is the Time Lord puts his chin above the rim when he jumps. And I think, not that I think, I know the Time Lord is faster and more athletic than Al Horford. So can Marcus Smart improve his lobs? I think so. Can they both help each other out defensively? I think so. Can you imagine being a defender and somehow getting by Marcus Smart? Just man-to-man defense by Marcus Smart. You somehow get by him, and then you have the Time Lord to face. I, I think it will help either way. If the Time Lord gets beat by, let's say, a Tobias Harris, like he gets switched on him, I could see Marcus Smart just sliding right on down and picking up an offensive charge. So I think the two of them defensively can help out not only themselves, but the team. And I also think offensively, those two things, those two people can do some good things together. It's just... The great thing about Al Horford is Al Horford set a good screen and then he moved. With Time Lord, he just stands in a spot, doesn't even let the guy hit him, and then he rolls. If Time Lord can use his athleticism to be quick enough to set a screen, let the guy actually run into him, and then roll off of it, I really think Marcus Smart and the Time Lord could do a lot of good things together. But the two of them, I just need a nickname. I can't call them... Smart Time or Smart Lord. I need a name for them. So if you got a name, tweet me at BannerBancher18 or email me at BannerBancherPodcast at gmail.com. One of the, a couple other things that I really enjoyed about this game, Gordon Hayward didn't play that well. But you know who did? Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Their defense was incredible. Offensively, they looked really good. They took a couple bad shots, but they also took a couple good shots. They attacked the basket. I was all for it. And we're just going to have to realize that there will be some games where Gordon Hayward 
isn't just going to isn't going to be in the flow of things, but we're also going to have some games where it will be Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum or Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown. Not all three of them are going to click. If all three of them are going to click in a game, the Celtics are going to be really tough to beat. But if we can get two out of three to play extremely well, like Jalen and Jason did against the Cavs, they're going to be really good. I thought Gordon played really well. I thought Tatum played really well. And I thought Jalen Brown played really well uh, against the Magic. Think, Tim, think. And they blew him out. They were up like 34 points at one point. And then again, another really good blowout win here, but Gordon didn't play that well. But that's okay. The second half, excuse me, was really focused on the rookies. And I thought the rookies played pretty well. You know, Carson Edwards jacked up a bunch of shots. He played really well. He just has to work defensively, maybe working on his decision making. He missed a couple backdoor cuts and some players like Cantor did up on the top of the key. Is he, like I mentioned earlier, is he going to be okay being that fourth option? Is he going to be able to make that extra pass? If Jason Tatum is in the corner and realizes, oh crap, someone's flying, and then he passes it out to Carson Edwards, is Carson Edwards going to take that shot, or is he going to make one extra pass to Gordon Hayward at the, at the top of the key for a wide open shot? That's what I need to see from Carson Edwards. That's what's going to be really interesting. Tremont Waters was awesome in this game. I love Tremont Waters as a point guard who's probably the same height as him really good ball handling skills his hesitation move is ridiculous i'm not comparing it to isaiah thomas's because that what isaiah thomas it4's hesitation move back in the day was filthy it was really good but he was really really good he doesn't mind taking it to the basket he doesn't mind getting hit i thought Tremont waters played very very well against the Cavs, and i hope he can bring that up to maine because it's going to be needed and finally max truss my boy Shot lights out, led the team in scoring, four or five from three. I really think he could be the final the final spot on this team. There's not a lot of great shooters. There's some good shooters on this team, but Max Struss is a great shooter. I'm pretty sure he was, I don't know if he led the NCAA or he was like top two or three in the NCAA of hitting shots off of screens, just kind of like a Kyle Korver or a J.J. Redick. I'm not comparing any of that Struss to either of those guys. I'm not. But he does give some shooting that the Celtics don't have, some trusted shooting where we know the Celtics are are athletic. So is Javante Green that type of guy that you want on the team? Sure, as long as Semi Ojale is off of it. If you're going to pick between Shemi Ojale and Javante Green, I'm going to tell you why you should pick Shemi Ojale in this week's episode of Stud and Dud. Hit the music. And now it is time for the Celtics stud. And the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, this week's stud and dud of the week. The stud is Brad Stevens. That's right. Oh, why, Timmy? Is it because of his coaching decisions? No, it's because of his awesome jokes. Guys, let's talk about what Brad Stevens did down in Orlando against the Orlando Magic on Friday night. Everyone started the We Want Taco chants, and it just wasn't from Celtics fans. Most people didn't realize that the University of Central Florida, where Taco Fall went to school, is in Orlando. So a lot of UCF fans were down there, and everyone was cheering, We Want Taco, We Want Taco. So right as that started happening, with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Brad walked over to the bench, and everyone's like, yeah, he's going he's gonna to bring in Taco. He takes Tremont Waters off the bench and walks him to the scorer's table. And Brad starts laughing because everyone booed him. What a great dad joke by Dad Brad Stevens. Unbelievable. 
unbelievable. Bravo, Brad Stevens. Oh, I haven't seen Brad smile like that in years. I was blushing. That's how that's how happy I was to see Brad Stevens joke like that. What a beautiful smile. Wow. Just A-plus job by Coach Brad Stevens. And then the dud is Shemi Ojale. Folks, I don't know what he's doing out there. I don't know why he's out there. Marcus Bolden dominated him. I'm a Duke guy. Marcus Bolden played all four years at Duke. Marcus Bolden is a very good rebounder. Marcus Bolden is not very strong. Marcus Bolden is not very athletic. Shemi Ojale is very strong. Shemi Ojale is very athletic. You cannot be dominated on the boards by Marcus Bolden if you're Shemi Ojale. And he was. What is he doing out there? When he was out there with Langford, Vincent Poole, Edwards, and Tremont Waters, he looked like the rookie out there. And Langford's a rookie. Play is kind of like a rookie. Edwards is a rookie, and Waters is a rookie. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And speaking of Romeo Langford, it looks like he had a, he had a sprained knee. He kind of slipped. I think it was on some sweat that was on the floor. I hope he's okay. It'll probably be the nicest thing I say about him because I'm not a big Romeo Langford guy. But I hope he's okay. I don't think he's going to be playing tonight against the Cavs. But if he does, I hope he does perform well because the Celtics may need him and he has to play well. I just don't have the confidence that he will. But anyways, what are we doing with Shemi Ojale? He just looks clueless out there. He's been in the system for a long time, like, and he makes some really bad decisions too. Like, I don't care that he scored, what, like nine points. All those were lucky nine points. He, he, he's just like, he doesn't know what, I swear to God, he doesn't know what to do. If we're only keeping him to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo, then like, can we just put him on a two-way contract? And bring him back every single time we play the Bucks because I don't get it. Javante Green has no fear. He will just put his head down and go. Maybe he's not that great defensively. Maybe he doesn't understand Brad's defensive scheme. But maybe someone catch him up. I'm over Shemi Ojale. I'm over it. We gave him a shot. He's clueless. That's that. So that that's all. The, oh. Oh, hold on here. Hold on one second. Oh. Jason Tatum and the Celtics. Oh, it looks like the Celtics have exercised Jason Tatum's contract for his fourth year option at $9.9 million. So that means Jason Tatum will be on the team for another couple seasons. This is year three. He's on the team next year for year four. And the Celtics can make a decision like they do with Jalen Brown if they want to re-sign him for the fifth year. Kind of like what the Celtics are doing right now with Jalen with Jalen Brown. That's really good news for Jason Tatum. So congratulations, Jason Tatum and Deuce on that good news. Look at that little breaking news while I'm recording. Gotta love that. Let's go. All right. Anyways, that is it for this week's episode of the Banner Banter Podcast. I did the stud and dud of the week. I did canter banter. I explained my hopes, dreams, and passions about this upcoming Celtic season. And yeah, that's it. Next week, episode 52, I'll recap the Cavs game. And then, folks, it's the start of the regular season next week. It's pretty crazy. So next Monday, October 21st, episode 52, I'll recap the Cavs game, give you my prediction on how the Celtics are going to do, give you my prediction on how each player is going to do, and then I'll give you a preview of the 76ers game on opening night down in Philly, and then opening night at TD Garden against the Raptors, and then I think the game after that, that Saturday night, their first back-to-back of the season against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. I believe that's what it is. If it's not... Correct me if I'm wrong. But thank you guys so much for listening as always. I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry that it came out on Tuesday, but, you know, it was a holiday. So life goes on. But thanks again for listening. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot to preview the Cavs game tonight at 7 p.m. Or if you're listening the day after. That happened yesterday. Not really expecting a lot from the starters. 
tonight. I don't think Kemba or Gordon or Tice will probably play, but I don't expect Kemba or Gordon or Jalen to play. Jason's not playing due to an illness. I'll expect a lot of minutes from the young guys. It's really going to be Max Struss versus Javante Green, who's really going to play. How's the rebounding going to look? Can Time Lord kind of prove to Al that basically, hey, I should be playing more minutes? That's going to be really interesting to see. Besides that, I'm really not expecting much from this fourth and final preseason game. Should be a snooze fest for the most part, but I can't wait to watch it either way. But that is it for episode 51 of the Banner Panther Podcast. Thanks for listening. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.